Uh, well, hey, we're really glad that you guys are here. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's funny when you look at a, um, you know, kind of a list of classes and you see something about technology. I don't think a lot of times people relate uh, technology to theology, and, and especially when we get to the part that I'm going to talk about, which is the theology of technology. I don't think people oftentimes think to go to the Bible uh, to look for a model of how to use social media. And so, you know, it, it's, you know, when you're putting a class together and you go, hey, here, you know, I can think about getting fit, I can think about heaven, I can think about assurance of salvation, but when I think about theology or technology, I don't think people's brain typically go to um, you know, how can I, how does the Bible inform this? And so, um, so I'm always surprised when even two people show up to anything about technology because that's just not something that our brain goes to. And so what I hope, what we hope uh, to do in the next few um, hours that we have together is really give you some new ideas. And some of the things that we're talking about isn't scripture. They're, they're us. And so you don't have to agree with them. It's okay. It's not the Bible. It's just good ideas. Um, but, I, but I hope, what, what we hope is this, that you walk away um, with just some, some um, pebbles in your shoes, so to speak. You walk away thinking about things differently uh, when it comes to technology than, than maybe you have in the past. And so um, feel free to raise your hand at any point. Uh, my friends that are doing this with me, Philip Ward, Lena Anderson, you're going to meet them. They are our residents. So you, did you guys know we had a residency program? So we have a residency program. We're still taking applications for the residency program up until um, March. And so, actually, yeah, March. So if you guys are interested in that or have friends that are interested in full-time vocational ministry, um, it'd be a great thing for them, for, for you guys to check out. So if you have any questions as we're talking, just feel free to raise your hand. It's okay. It's not a Sunday morning. So raise your hand. Um, in fact, try to stump these guys. You know, that's what I would like you guys to do. Stump the residents. So if you have any question, <laughs> no matter how hard, just, just try to stump them. And so I'm going to pray for us. Um, my, by the way, my name is Rick Smith, and I'm the director of digital ministry. You may wonder what the heck is a digital minister, and why do we have one here? Um, really, you know, I'll tell you more about my background when, when I get up here. Um, but what I do at Watermark is just work with some friends, and we try to say, hey, how can we use um, social media to help equip, encourage, um, and help point people and equip people in their relationship with Christ? And so that's really what we do. We try to literally make disciples using technology. And so that's what I do at Watermark. And to get to work with some fun people when we do that. And so we're glad you're here. I'm going to pray for us. And then Philip's going to come up and, and get started. Lord, we do thank you that uh, your, your word uh, speaks to every area of life. And certainly uh, technology. And so we, we just want to just start today um, with just a confession. We want to give it all to you. Not just, um, you know, not just our, our minds, not just our hearts, not just... Um, our daily time with you, but we want to even give to you our use of technology. And so we want you to inform it. We want you to help us to find creative ways uh, to use this powerful tool uh, to make disciples. So thank you for my friends that carved out some time on this incredibly beautiful Saturday to be here to talk about this. And so we pray uh, that what we talk about today would be a, be fruitful to you, helpful to them, and would bring you glory. And so we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so I want to welcome Philip. Philip's going to come up here and, and get us started. Good afternoon, good afternoon. So my name's Philip Ward. I'm a resident here, as Rick said. And um, I came to Watermark in 2013, got saved in 2014. So now I'm a part of the residency program, working with Rick um, in the digital ministry. What that looks like is just social media, uh, get to cover all of that kind of thing. So the stuff that you see on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, get to be a part of that, content create and curate. And so... Despite what you just saw from my buddy Rick and his pretty cool and calm demeanor, 
this guy is pretty crazy. And so anytime Rick, I'm with Rick, he's like, hey, look, you never know what you're going to get into when you're with Rick. And that's just true. So this past summer, he called me on a Tuesday. He's like, hey, bro, what are you doing this weekend? And I'm like, uh, it's Tuesday. I don't, I don't know. He's like, hey, look, we're going to New York. And so I'm like, New York is Tuesday. He's like, bro, I got these buddy passes. We're going to go to New York. We're going to have a good time. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's do it. And so we get these buddy passes. If you, if you've, has anybody ever flown on a buddy pass before? No? So buddy pass, you basically, it's, you basically can go to the airport and you have to kind of just wait around, and maybe somebody will miss a flight, so maybe you can get on the flight. So we get there, like, pretty early, like 5.30 in the morning, and uh, the flight that we're trying to take to New York is just completely booked. And so at this point, we're just like, okay, let's, let's just pray somebody misses their flight. I know that's, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong, but God's providence worked it out, and two people missed their flight, and so we got to get on the flight. And so... As we get on the flight, we walk to the back. There's two seats waiting for us. Everybody's already sitting down uh, in their seats. So uh, there's a guy sitting by the window. I sit in the middle. Rick's on my left. And I look at the guy next to me, and this guy is, like, drenched in sweat. His knees are jumping. He looks real nervous. And I'm like, they sent me next to a terrorist. And, and so and so I look at this guy, and I'm, I'm like, I want to check, you know, I want to check things out. I want to make sure, like, this guy's, this guy's good. And so I, I look at him. I'm like, hey, man, are you, are you okay? Is everything all right? He's like, yeah, man, I, I, this is my first time flying, and I'm going to a job interview in New York. And so I was like, let me get to know this guy a little better. And I, So I wanted to calm him down a bit, you know. I was like, look, man, you're safer on this plane than you were driving over here this morning. And he's like, okay. But then... Then I had to do something crazy. <laughs> so I looked at him. I'm like, hey, but this plane could go down. And so he's like, what are you, you, what are you trying to do? You're trying to make me more nervous, man? Like, you're not helping. And so then I took it a step further. I don't know why I did this. I don't advise you to do this. I said, look, man, look, if this plane does go down on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being uncertain, 10 being certain, where do you see yourself going to be with the Lord? And this dude is freaked out. Rick's a little freaked out because he's... He's already a little afraid to fly. And so, but this all turns into this great conversation. We crack open the word on the plane, um, get to walk through the gospel with this guy. And I'll tell you, like, by the time we reached New York, boom, we had a new believer in Christ, a new brother. Yeah. And if you're wondering how we got that picture, Rick did have his selfie stick on the plane. He pulled it out. (laughs) And so the reason that I tell you this story is because I want you to recognize that there are just opportunities everywhere for us to be witnesses for Christ. Everywhere. That includes social media. So no matter where you are, whether in person or on social media, there are people around us all the time who don't know Christ and who need you to tell them about the love of Christ. And so everything relates to the Word. And the the way that God created was through the Word, he gave, the, he gave us his revealed will, the Bible, through word, and we're to tell the gospel by word. Have you ever heard the phrase, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words? Has anybody ever heard that? Yeah. That's cute, but that's just wrong, you know? That's wrong. The reason why is the gospel is news. You can't live the news, you tell the news. That's like me saying, I'm going to live out everything that Donald Trump did on, on the presidential debate. 
I can't do that. That's what Donald Trump already did. I can tell you about it, but I can't do it. And so the gospel is news. It is the good news, and that news needs to be shared by word. In Christ, people can look at us and people can say, hey, there is something different about that guy. There is something different about that girl. But unless we tell them why, unless we tell them that there was a Savior who died for us and ransomed us and took, and took on our punishment on our behalf and gave us his righteousness, they will never know that. They can't look at us and tell that. We need to share that with them. And so this good news should just flow out of us. If we're in the word, if we know that to be true, this good news should flow out of us. And sometimes you communicate that in a crazy messed up way and somebody comes to know Christ. And sometimes you communicate that and it just completely bombs. So we're going to check out this video real quick of just how not to share the gospel. And so that, those are just some terrible examples of how to share the gospel. And you you probably heard uh, mine in there. Uh, and, and the living water one, like, hey, do you know the living water? Like, I actually said that one before outside of the state fair. Like, hey, I got the living water. You know, just, just crazy stuff like that in, in the way you share the gospel. So that kind of stuff is, is easy for us to do in person, but it's even uh, more easy for us to do on social media. I know um, that there's just – raise your hand if you have a, a social media account, Facebook, Twitter. Does everybody in here have one? Okay. We've got one back there and no social media. That's great, man. Welcome. Close you close it? Okay, awesome. I hope we can hear about that later. And so um, a lot of the time with our social media accounts, we can be full of pride. We can be just just mean, just judgmental. We can be obnoxious like that guy was. He just, like, stood up in the middle of nowhere and just starts just out of nowhere. And all that can come off wrong to people who don't believe and also to even to other believers. And so you can be full of pride or you can be on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're just ashamed of the gospel. You don't share it all. You don't use your social media account at all for the glory of Christ. It's all about you. It's all about your selfies. It's all about what you did. There's nothing on there. If someone went to your page and scrolled your timeline, they wouldn't even know that you were a believer at all. And so some of us, we, we practice, um, just like this guy in the video. I don't know if y'all can see it clearly on the video, but he kind of cut the guy off, uh, with his car. And so when he tried to share with him, the guy didn't even want to hear him. He's like, Hey, don't, don't you drive a Volkswagen? And so that's some of us, uh, John Elmore here on staff said something at D town, uh, which is our part of our student ministries. So I get to lead there with a a group of seventh graders. And he said something in one of the breakout sessions that really caught me. He said, "Um, I can't hear you because I can see you. And so there's, there's some of us that we don't practice what we preach. You know, people see our lives and they're like, Hey, I see this dude living every day and he gets on social media and he posts Bible verses. And that's confusing to me. And so we ask ourselves, you know, is there a call for us to even share what we believe on social media? Is there a call for us to engage with people on social media? Like we, I think we get kind of caught up in like the questions that, that come next. Like what will people think about me? You know, how will people, will I lose a relationship over this? Will I be that annoying Christian that only posts Bible verses? And so we have to ask ourselves, is there even a call for, for us to share on social media? And if so, how do we effectively share online? So just today we're going to talk about becoming a, a digital disciple, how to share your faith online. 
we want to help y'all uh, more effectively do that. And so a few verses come to mind. Um, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this is Jesus before the ascension just telling his disciples, like, like these, these places right here, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, he's actually talking about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That's not like Dallas, Texas, like don't apply that to yourself. But when it says to the end of the earth, that's us. To a Middle Eastern Jew at that time, we are the ends of the earth, you know? They would have never imagined this thing would get this big to where we're in America in 2016. We are the end of the earth, and social media can help us connect to all the ends of the earth. There are billions of people online. And so through social media, I truly believe that we can um, help make disciples of all nations. So Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Anybody know where that comes from? What's that called? Great Commission. Yeah, exactly. And so I truly believe that we can be a part of this. Like the Great Commission applies to us. And we can, through social media, make disciples of all nations. All nations are readily available on social media. We can, we can actually, if all of us would get busy, we can actually usher in and bring in on the second coming of Christ. It's our responsibility to share the gospel. It's our responsibility to connect with these people. And if we're not doing that, we're holding back Christ coming back, essentially. And so... Social media, we have this new opportunity. We have a greater, God has given us such a great gift that we don't use effectively. We can communicate more rapidly, more frequently, and to a greater number of people than any generation has before us. And so we we, we land on this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How many people, just think in your mind, like how many people do you see on your timeline that share loving things about Christ? And then think about the number of people who share just mess, just nastiness all day long. It's, it's crazy. Sometimes every so often I have to com- just completely log off face- Facebook or my social media for a week just to take a break from the craziness of the world. But we can be those lights. The laborers are few. I truly believe this. So today we're going to run you through an overview. Today we're going to talk about the theology of technology Uh, social media, just the facts, the pitfalls, and the perks. Then we're going to walk through seven steps of how to share your faith online. And then we're going to talk about shepherding your kids online. And so now I'm going to bring up my buddy Rick Smith, who is one of my best friends and boss. Right. Good job, Philip. I'm going to use this stool. I like stools. All right. Well, I want to tell you, just just take a couple of minutes. And just tell you a little bit about my story and, and how I got to Watermark and, and why this is a, a personal interest to me. So I've always been into technology. I've always been the guy that, um, you know, pulls his phone out, takes pictures, and, and makes it real uncomfortable for everybody who doesn't like to take uh, pictures. Thanks. And um, so about five years ago, you know, we found out that we were pregnant 
with our first son. Well, not we. Were, my wife was pregnant. I wasn't. It wasn't we. It was her. So she was pregnant with our first son, and um, you know, I remember just kind of that that journey of getting ready to be a new a new parent. You know, and you kind of do all the things that you do when you're going to have a kid, and you, you go and look at the sonograms, and you see the baby on the sonogram, and you do, you know, just all the things. You begin to plan what your uh, child's future is going to be like. What's he going to be like? Where's he going to go to college? What's he going to do? Uh, who's he going to marry? You just begin to create this imaginary kid uh, in your head. And so we did that. And I remember uh, going to eat dinner on, on, on the night before. My wife's going to have a C-section. So we went in and had dinner uh, the night before and just praying and saying, God, hey, thank you that, um, you know, that we're going to have this little healthy boy, that everything is going to be just kind of as we, as we planned because every sonogram was just A-OK. And I remember... Uh, the next day, you know, we went in to, to have the C-section, and about three hours after um, our son was born, we found out that he was actually born with Down syndrome. And so that, I, I literally felt like I got hit um, directly in, in, in the gut. You know, I just felt like the life sort of knocked the wind out of me. And so I began to just do what we do. Right? I didn't know anyone with Down syndrome personally. I remember asking my wife's a pediatrician. I remember asking my wife, I said, hey, is, is Noah going to be like Christopher Reeves? And she's like, Christopher Reeves fell off a horse, Rick. And I was like, oh, I, my bad. I didn't know anything about Down syndrome. So I began to get on uh, the internet, which isn't always helpful. And just, I wanted to see videos. Like I wanted to see, hey, what, what was life going to be like uh, for us as a family now having a little boy with Down syndrome. And I didn't see a whole lot of, of things out there that I was looking for. I wanted to just see normal stuff. I wanted to see, you know, what families were doing. And I remember one night coming across a video on Facebook that um, uh, I don't remember if we were friends with them or somehow we ended up on this video and it was a kid with Down syndrome playing a Wii game. It was a Michael Jackson game. I remember specifically it was a Michael Jackson game because I was like, this is really cool. It's not like He's over there playing Christian, you know, praise and worship. Like, this is actually normal stuff that normal kids do. Um, and, you know, he wasn't playing Christian karaoke. It was just like normal stuff. And I watched this video over and over, and I was like, this is amazing. Look at this. Abby, come in here. Check this out. This kid's, like, playing the Wii. This is amazing. Um, and so, but there wasn't very many of those videos. So I had this idea. I was like, hey, I, that's the stuff that I want to see. I want to see more of that. But it wasn't there. So I was like, well, why don't we become that for other parents? Because you may not know this, but 92%, depending on what study you read, 92% of children with Down syndrome are aborted. So that means every time you see one Noah, there's nine Noahs that you don't see, uh, really because people are scared, fear, fearful, and, and everything else. And so you go, golly, man, Lord, how could we somehow help that, you know, because I'm not going to go to the abortion clinic and pick it, right? Obviously, that doesn't, that doesn't work. If, if 92% of the people that you advocate for die, like, you're not a very good advocate, right? Something else needs to happen. And so we said, hey, why don't we create this website? And we created this website called noahsdad.com. And um, the, the idea was really, hey, I'm going to pull my phone out every day. I'm going to take 60 seconds of video, and I'm going to just put these on the web every day and kind of create a narrative, an online narrative of our son's life. And the idea was, hey, as people go online and they're looking for those kind of videos, they'll see them. And, you know, it was just like whatever we did. It wasn't anything super entertaining. It was like if we went to therapy, what do, what do we do when we go to therapy with Noah? We went to New York. What do we do? Hey, here, just videos, everyday life. Well, what happened was it ended up just going viral. God just has a really funny way of doing things. And so it went viral, um, ended up, you know, Noah's, um, it was like time, time.com, 
headline news, just just all over the place. And God really did a really cool thing with it. He, so he has he has a Facebook community now and Instagram, the blog. I mean, just it just really exploded. It was just a, totally a God thing, right? I mean, um, and so um, I was I was a student at Dallas Seminary. I was graduating seminary. And um, my background is student ministry, so I was a student pastor and was finishing seminary and was about to take a job, was interviewing for a job as a family pastor at another church. And so I won't tell you the name of the church, but it was another church. And during the interview process, um, I was kind of like, I think it was the second or third interview, all these people started saying bad things about the pastor, right? Like I would go in to interview and they would kind of say, hey, you know, they were telling me these things. I was like, huh. So I've been friends with Todd, who's the pastor here since I was, I'm 37, so I think 17 or 18 years old. So we had breakfast one morning, and I was like, hey, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel like this is the church where God wants us to go. Um, but all these people are saying really, you know, negative things about the pastor in one way or, or another. You know, what should I do? Does God want me just to go there and then, you know, just, just go there and just tough it out? Or is this not the place? He's like, hey, man, it's really simple what you do. You know, it's ta- typical Todd. It's like, you just get all those guys in a room with the pastor, and you just say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to share with the pastor what you just shared with me. And they're either going to like that, or they're going to fire you during the interview process. And so they did. And I remember just telling Todd, hey, you got to be fired during the interview process, man. And so we were talking about what I was doing with Noah's dad's website at the time. He's like, hey. And I was like, hey, you know, churches, they, they're like really late to the game on all this stuff, right? They don't pay enough. They don't want, they, they don't, you know, they have their secretary tweet out verses of the day. Like, it's just goofy. Like, no one really sees value in this. But if they did, I think you could do some cool things, you know. So he was just like, hey, what would it look like if you did that here? Why don't you write out a job description? You know, you kind of write it out. And you're like, yeah, right. There's no way they're going to pay me to do this. And so I wrote this thing out and then just one thing led to another and and the Lord um, brought us over here. And I remember the day it happened. I was in a meeting. If you know anything about Todd, it it was just like, hey, why don't you come to this meeting? Come to this meeting. Hey, by the way, you're hired. Hey, by the way, hey, Abby, I think we're now members of Watermark. I think you have to to maybe go to church at Watermark. So now we weren't coming to Watermark. So it just happened really fast. And so it was really crazy. Um, But just, you know, I, I, like I said, I've known Todd since probably almost 20 years now. So I just have a lot of trust, a lot of respect. And he's a guy that really poured into me. So, so that's what makes me passionate about technology because I've seen technology um, l- literally save lives. I've seen technology really change hearts and lives, and that makes me really passionate. That's why at Watermark, our digital team isn't under marketing. Like we don't, We're not a marketer. I'm not a marketer. I'm a pastor who uses these, these tools. So my job, I'm on the equipping team, and we say, hey, how can we use these tools to equip? How can we help people? And so you've got to really get out of your mind that technology is just how you, you tweet your sandwich for lunch or you, a verse of the day. And so that's how I got here. And what I want to um, start out with today, and the part that gets me really passionate, is the, is the theology piece. You know, when you think about technology, your, your mind typically doesn't think about theology. You know, we, we separate those two. But the Bible has a lot, a lot to say about it. I want to do a little quiz as we get started. I want, to th- I want to show you some things on the board, and I want you to raise your hand if you look at this and you go, this is technology. So um, let me, let me pop, there's my family. I didn't put that up earlier, but there's, uh, can you guess which one's Noah? Okay, the one up top. There's Noah, Jackson, my sweet wife, and, um, and there's me. So I'm going to show you a couple things. So a shovel. So when you see a shovel, do you think, man, this is like crazy high tech, a shovel? All right. Um, a candle, like you would go, this is like super high tech candle, a brick. So you see a brick and you go, man, that, that is high tech. Nobody. All right. A phone. 
How, how many? So you go, this is high tech, a phone. Okay. Raise it high. Be proud of your answer. There's no wrong answers. There actually are wrong answers, but <laughs> eyeglasses. So you go, man, that's, that's high tech. Okay. My man right here, he's got glasses on. He's like, yes. Um, a camera. Okay. So here's a, I want to give you a working uh, definition of technology. Technology is a God-given force of transformation. So, so here's what we've got to do when we think about technology. We've got to get out of our mind that technology is something that you plug in, turn on, or needs batteries. That, that's a misnumber. Because what you're saying when you do that is that technology only started when electricity was invented or batteries were invented. That's, that's crazy, right? Um, so technology is a God-given force, something given by God to transform. And so here's, here's something I want you to think about. We Typically, this is how human brains work. We only think that something is technology. We only think of something being technology if it was invented after we were born. Okay? That's just how our brains work. So this helps us in the way that we think about what we use today and, and, and people that are younger than us. So let's look at these images again. So this very first thing, a shovel. Uh, so if our definition of technology is a God-given force of transformation, we've got to ask ourselves, what does a shovel transform? Well, well, I mean, easily, right? A shovel transforms the ground. You take one of these. Imagine being born before a shovel, and you're trying to dig holes, right? You're digging it with your hands or a rock, something like that, and then a shovel's made. And a shovel literally transforms the ground. There's, there's holes in the ground where there once was no holes. The ground is literally transformed. A candle, easy, right? It transforms darkness, right? Imagine living in a time before a candle. Now you have a candle, and where it was once dark, and you, and you go to bed at, when the sun goes down, now you have the ability to read, work, and do other things uh, because of the candlelight. A brick, I mean, th- these are amazing. This is amazing technology. A, a brick transforms the weather. It transforms our comfort. Imagine if you didn't have bricks and trying to sit in a house, trying to sit in this church building uh, without bricks. I mean, bricks are an amazing piece of technology. A, a, a phone, you know, phones transform space. They transform relationships. You pick a phone up, and now you can talk to someone. Imagine living in a time without a phone. I mean, how, you'd have to write a letter. You don't know if they get the letter. Like a phone is amazing. Imagine living in a time without a phone and, and, being, and living in the time where they created a phone. And you go, wow, you mean I can pick this thing up and talk to grandmother across the states? Yes. Eyeglasses literally transforms your, your, your eyesight, right? I mean, you, you can't see. You put the glasses on and things come into focus. Imagine living in a time without eyeglasses if you need eyeglasses or contacts. Um, A camera, right, literally uh, transforms also time and space. It it lets us time travel, literally. I mean, you can go back in time and see pictures. It allows you to capture moments and memories. Imagine now uh, living in a time without a camera and not being able to capture moments and freeze time and go back and look at those and relive those events. That's incredible technology. Um, and so what we've got to do is we've got to get out of our mind that technology is something that you, that you plug in or turn on. And so to do that, we're going to look at the Bible. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to Genesis. And we're going to see in the very first few pages of your Bible that technology is right there. And so this is the book of Genesis. Um, you know the story. Um, God makes everything in just a handful of days. Uh, by the way... Um, in the scriptures, when it says that uh, God makes things, he makes them ex nihilo. That's, that's Hebrew for out of nothing. He makes something out of nothing. He just literally speaks it 
And it happens. It's a characteristic that you find in Scripture that, that is only um, a God characteristic, right? Only God can say it, and it happens. Like, he doesn't have to create it. doesn't have to knit something. If he wants a sweater, he just says, give me a sweater. And the sweat, like, he just says things, and out of his voice, things are created. So everything in human history uh, is always going to be something that we recreate. It's going to be taking something that God has already given us, and we put those things together and we transform. We do something different with it. So you and I, we don't create anything, really. I mean, we, we recreate things. God is the creator. God is the one who makes things. We simply take the incredible things he's given us uh, and we remake things. And so here we go. So we're going to see this, verse 3, the very first use of technology in the Bible. Oh, and because, that we're, because we're image bearers of God, by the way, because we're created in the image of God, that's what we want to do. We want to use technology. So if you ever wonder why do we have a draw to use technology, it's in us. We're created with the DNA of God to want to be people who take things and transform, who do things with them. And you're going to see this in the scripture that God makes everything in just a handful of days out of nothing again. Um, He says they're good. He makes people. He says you're very good. You're the best thing I've ever created. You're made in my image. Um, And then Adam and Eve uh, sin, right? They rebel against God. That's the fall. That's where we are in Genesis Three, and you wonder, what is the very first thing that Adam and Eve did? And when we hear the story, we always say that they went and they hid behind the bushes, right? But that's not the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God. What's the first thing they did? It says, then, verse 7, then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the very first use of technology in the Bible, right here you see it, Genesis 3, 7, that Adam and Eve said, hey, what are we going to do? And the very first thing they thought to do, you got to think about this. They've never seen clothes before. They've never, why, how in the world would you ever think, I'm going to take these leaves, I'm going to sew them together. Where do they get the needle? Where do they get the thread? That's another question for another training day. <laughs> but you go, why would their mind go to that? Why would they immediately think, I'm going to take these things that God has given me in nature put them together and make clothing. They'd never even seen clothing before. But something about them said, hey, I want, I want to make something. I want to do something. And so that's the first use of technology in the Bible. But here we, do, we see something else really cool. We see the first technology upgrade. So you go, man, is there an upgrade? There's an upgrade. So Adam and Eve says, hey, we're going to, God says, I'm going I'm to, because of your sin and your rebellion, you're now no longer allowed in the garden. You're going to go into the world where the scripture says there's going to be thorns and thistles. The environment's going to be different. And, and your, uh, you know, your fig leaves aren't going to cut it, guys. And so it says this in verse 21. So this is incredible. It says, uh, it says, And then the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This is amazing. I mean, there's a couple things going on here, right? First is the picture of grace that God kills these innocent animals. And he says, hey, sin's always going to require a blood sacrifice. He kills these animals. And then he takes the clothing of those animals and he covers Adam and Eve with it. That's, that's amazing. That's really a um, prelude to the gospel, that he kills these animals and he covers the uh, guilty with the, the skin of the innocent, the blood of the innocent. But there's also something really amazing here going on too. There's this beautiful picture of grace that God says, even in this, even in you rebellion and you're about to go out of the garden, the elements there, the thorns and the thistles, your leaves aren't going to be able to help you. And he gives them leather clothing, literally leather pants, the first leather clothes. God was very fashion forward. But he gives them clothing to protect them from the elements. It's the first upgrade in the scripture, and it's pretty awesome. Um, and, then, and then now we see in Genesis 4, 
the use of technology being used wrong, right? You know the story, Adam, it's Cain and Abel, and, and Cain kills Abel. He takes something that he sees in the environment. Uh, scholars don't know what this is. Some people say it was a rock, okay? And he, and he kills his brother with it. He takes something, and, and he kills someone with it. He hurts someone with something that God gave him. It's the first time in Scripture that we see something where someone takes something God has given them and then harms another. Takes, I think, technology and, and hurts uh, his brother, so we see a bad use. And then, you know, we can go on. We can go to uh, the ark, you know, and how you think about the ark, right? That these guys have never seen a boat. They've seen wood. They've never seen a boat. They've never seen rain. And then all of a sudden, they're going to take these, these trees, these, this wood that God has already given them, and they're going to, Noah is going to fashion that together in an incredible use of technology and make a boat, a life-saving device um, that people can get on and be rescued from the waters. That's amazing. And so think about if you lived in a time before a boat, and you've never seen a boat before, and all of a sudden the depths of the sea that isn't even here yet is unleashed on the world. You go, man, give me a boat. Give me something that floats. You want to get on it. Technology. God comes in. He goes, I'm going to give you these. I want you to, tra- I want you to use these tools. I want you to, to use them in a different way that they've never been used before, and you're going to transform literally people's lives. You're going to save lives by using technology. A boat is incredible technology. To you and I, it's not because we were born um, after a boat was invented. We were born, at, we don't think refrigerators are technology. We don't, we're born after all these things. But if you're living in the time, man, this is like Star Wars type stuff for you. Well, you mean I'm going to get on this wood that's heavy and somehow that wood's going to float me and keep me above the waters? Yes, it's amazing. Um, but people don't always use technology for good. If you have your scriptures Go to Genesis 11, and this is where we're going to spend a little bit of time. The Tower of Babel. So um, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And the people migrated from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitmen for mortar. And what you've got to understand is this, is that these people were southern Mesopotamia. That's where they lived. And so in that area, uh, there, was, there was different building materials where they were in the west than where they were here. And so as they, in the west, they would use these stones for a base for their house. And then they, so they would take these stones, and they would be round and different, different shapes and sizes. They would put the stones together, take mud, put the mud around the stones, and they would build these, these houses. Okay, Now, where they're going to be now... In Babel, they don't use a mud brick uh, for their homes. They use a burnt brick. And, and, and if you just read this really fast, you lose what happened here. They're going from rocks that couldn't be stacked on top of each other to burnt bricks, to, to a new kind of brick that was flat. It allowed them to stack. It allowed them to build taller buildings. It allowed them to have waterproof buildings. Um, not, not so much waterproof, but more so than what they had. They could stack these bricks, and it was incredible technology. It was cutting edge. Imagine if you lived in a time today where you couldn't take bricks that were flat and stack them on top of each other. It was incredible technology. It was amazing. And it says, so you go, what are they going to do, right? It's the first time in history that these people have ever come across a brick that was flat, a burnt brick. And you go, what are they going to do? Surely they're going to build a temple uh, to worship God. Surely they're going to build something that they could uh, bring glory to God with, right? Here's what they said, verse 4. Then they said, come, 
Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for God. No, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole of the whole earth. And so the very first thing that they did was they begin to compare their technology with others, right? We do the same. They, they said, hey, let us, make, let us make ourselves a city and a tower. Let us, let us make these tall buildings. We want to make buildings that are taller than anybody else. We want to use the technology that God has given us in a way uh, that no one has ever done. We want to make really tall, tall buildings. And so that's the very first thing they did. And we do the same thing, right, with our technology. We go, hey, how can we have more followers? How can we have more likes, more subscribers, more? We compare. We never celebrate. We instead compare. And what God says, hey, I don't want you to compare. I want you to celebrate. Celebrate, not compare. And you don't see any celebration here. You don't see them going, man, glory to God. This is amazing. They just immediately compare. It's the first thing that they do. And then here's what they do. They, they, they don't say how can we make God famous? They say, how can I make myself famous? They go, let us make, um, yeah, right here, verse, um, says, let us make a name for ourselves. Isn't that amazing? This, this idea of making ourselves famous and God, uh, more famous than God, has been going around for a really long time. And they go, hey, let's, let's use this technology. Let's use these bricks to bring glory to us, not glory to God. Have we ever done that? Man, we do it all the time, right? Even in our own social media. Hey, how can I have people think more highly of me? Think better of me? Think that I'm more important? And so what God does, says that God came down. Verse 5, God came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. And the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So what, 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 God, what does God do? I mean, he scatters them. Why does he do that? I mean, does God not like tall buildings? I mean, why does he do it? It isn't that God doesn't like tall buildings. God doesn't like hard hearts. You see, anytime we do anything and leave God out of it, God has a problem with it. And especially... In our use of technology, like as we look at, the, at our friends here in Babel, they don't ever mention God in any of this passage. They never say, God, how would you have us use this? God, thank you for this. God, this is amazing. We want to create something to, to gather and worship you. They go, hey, we're going to use these things to make a name out of ourselves. And anytime we leave God out of something, we're settling for less than God's best. And God has a huge problem with that. He, he had a problem with it thousands of years ago in Babel, and he has a problem with it right now in Dallas, Texas. Anytime we leave, we leave God, we got out. Here's the, the kind of the quotes. You know, they don't acknowledge God with their technology. They never pray. They never thank God. You know, let me just ask, when's, when's the last time that you thanked God for technology? You know, when's the last time that you, in your prayers you just said, hey, God, thank you for having brick, a brick house. It's pretty cool. Uh, thanks for having a refrigerator. It's kind of neat to put food in a refrigerator and it's still cold the next day or the next week. That's amazing. God, thank you for um, this, this, this Facebook. Thank you that I can post images and see images of my friends and see what they're up to and catch up with them and even share the gospel. When is the last time that you've, you've thanked God uh, for your technology? And then they wanted to make a name for their self instead of a name for God. You know, again, we do that all the time in our own social media. 
Um, and so they want to take what God gave them and use it for their own glory, not God's uh, glory. And so, I mean, that, that's really where we end right now is that, as we think about it. Is anytime you leave God out of something, anytime you leave God um, out of our technology, we fail. And, and not just technology, I mean anything. Um, anytime we leave God out of technology, uh, we, we fail. And so what we've got to do is we've got to always be having ongoing conversations. We're going to talk about this more in our time together. But we always want to be having conversations, right, of, man, why, God, am I inviting you in? Am I inviting you into this? You know, when I share something, when I post something, when I interact with something, when I engage with someone, um, then, you know, I can't. There, hopefully in your own life there's been times where you've almost posted something, shared something, thought something, and then you go, you know what, hey, I probably shouldn't post this. This is not edifying. This is not good. You know, especially with the political elections. You know, I thought about posting something today or yesterday. I thought, this is going to be so witty. This is going to be so amazing. And I said, man, you know what, this, this doesn't encourage encourage anyone. This doesn't help anyone. This doesn't edify. And it certainly doesn't help this person that I don't agree with that is also created in God's image that I'm about to slander. And so you stop and you go, hey, God, help me to be more sensitive in the things that I share, the things that I post, because I want to invite you in. I want to take what you've given me and I want to use it uh, for your good. And so we got a couple of discussion questions. We're going to take a little break right now. And man, here's what I want you to do with some friends around you. I want you to, one, you can introduce yourself to whoever's sitting by you. Introverts hate this part. I'm an extrovert. I love this part. But just say, hi, my name's Rick. Do you follow me on Facebook? That'd be really weird. Then pull your phone out. That might get weird. Um, But here's a couple of questions. I want you to just to ask um, yourself these questions to your friends around you. And if you want to use the restroom, use the restroom, and we'll get back uh, to this in just a couple of minutes. Um, So just like what Rick mentioned earlier, Philip and I are residents this year in the Watermark Residency Program, and I am on the young adult team at the porch, and I have the privilege of doing um, the social media for the porch and uh, some of their digital marketing pieces, and which has been really fun. So that's why my interest right now is talking about social media, because I do it for the porch. And also before that, um, my background is in marketing. I got my degree in marketing in school, and then right after that went into doing digital marketing for uh, nonprofits and other churches. And so that's why this is such a passion of mine, and it'll come out when I'm talking. Sometimes I get a little excited about it. But I just wanted to go into a video that I found online, and I thought it would be interesting to start with. So, so I just watched that video online this week when I was um, coming up with uh, some things to share with you guys. And my favorite statistic out of all of those was the one about 53% of millennials would rather lose their sense of smell than lose their technology. And my first thought, like instant thought, was did they know that smell is directly related to taste? And that would mean you can never have chocolate ever again, and that's worth it to you? Uh, that's definitely not worth it to me. I don't think I would fall in that camp at all. But um, what's cool about that video is it just shows that times are changing so much. And what used to be take a long time to communicate with people, we can now do in an instant. Um, We have access to so many more people now today than people in all generations before us ever had access to. It was never possible to do the things that we can now do. And we can make our words go viral. There's so many examples of different videos and uh, things on the internet that just with one click, people wake up the next morning and there's a million views on a video. And that's just unheard of for a a couple, even decades ago. That wasn't even possible. So now it's just this 
this idea that we are entrusted with a powerful tool, which is social media. And the question is, is are we being responsible with the resource that we have been given? And I know when I was um, just reading through the Bible, one thing that stuck out to me was in Luke 12, 48, when it says, to whom much is given, much is required. And I just feel like social media in our generation, much is required from us since we are given that tool. And it's not something that people really consider when they're on social media of, hey, am I, am I using this effectively for the glory of God and not for the glory of myself, for ourselves? But that's just not something that um, comes to mind when you're just on social And so that's something I really want to think about with you guys today is, are we using social media as a mission field, or is it becoming just a battlefield that people are just getting um, just entangled in? And so there's a few things I'm going to be talking about in this time. It's the top three social networks, which is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and then pitfalls of social media, just things to be aware of when we're on social media, and then the perks of social media, which is what are we, what should we be excited about? What should we be doing on social media, and how should we be using it? So the first one I'm going to go over is Facebook, which, how many of you are on Facebook? Okay. So almost all of you. Uh, that one, it has the most users of all the different channels. It's 1.5 billion users, which in that video you saw that it said it's actually more users than the country of China. Like the big, it would, if it was a country, it would be the biggest country in the world, which is just crazy. It has the most diverse demographic where we have people from really young, maybe even like 13, all the way till my grandparents are even on Facebook. So it's like all ages which is um, the most diverse of all the different channels, more than Twitter and Instagram. And then another thing is how it's used is diverse as well. So it's like photos, videos, articles, really um, all kinds of different content is on Facebook. And then there's one other thing I want to talk to you guys about, which is the Facebook creeper. I don't know if you guys have heard of that or know what that means, but the Facebook creeper is someone who always sees your statuses and pictures but never comments on or likes them. I don't know if you've been a Facebook creeper or you know a Facebook creeper, but this is just something I wanted to call out of. We know that it's going on, and just maybe don't be that person. Don't just stalk people online. Uh, it's just really just something that Philip and Rick and I, when we were discussing this, were like, we got to address it. It's something that needs, it needs to be addressed. So the next one is... Twitter, which that one has 310 310 million users on it. It's also a demographic of all ages. Um, This one's more ages like 20 to 60, right in that range. A lot of of 30s on there as well, people in their 30s, is like a main demographic on Twitter. And then how it's used is mainly text. It started out with just text, 140 characters, so they wanted you to keep it short. And it was considered microblogging, so people would just share like really short thoughts and um, anything that really came to their mind, they would just share that. And one example is I saw on CNN.com that there's a quiz right now of who said it, Donald Trump or Kanye West. And it's actually tweets of both of their, of both of their, um, on their Twitter, different things they've said, and there's a quiz that you can take. So I pulled a few of those, and I figured we can decide who tweeted it, Kanye or Trump. So the first tweet is, my Twitter has become so powerful that I can actually make my enemies tell the truth. Who do you guys think that was? Donald Trump, raise your hand. Okay, Kanye? Okay. It's actually 
Donald Trump for that. So congratulations to whoever said that. Okay, this one, Katy Perry. Katy, what the heck were you thinking when you married loser Russell Brand? There is a guy who has got nothing going, a waste. Kanye or Trump? Raise your hand for Trump. One, okay, Kanye. All right, surprisingly, this is Donald Trump as well. (laughs) That one threw me off. (laughs) This is possibly our president, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, the last one is, my number one enemy has been my ego. There's only one throne, and that's God's. So, a spiritual man. Which one is it? Donald Trump or Kanye? Donald Trump? Kanye? Okay, that's Kanye. You guys got that one. So, really, this is just an example of how people just, a lot of times, will just vent on Twitter. They'll just say whatever they feel, no filter. So, it gets interesting, but... The other big social media network is Instagram. And this one has 100 million users, but it's the most rapidly growing right now. And it's also the most recent network of all of them. It's all ages, but mostly millennials. So you'll see um, a lot of the millennials on there. And uh, the way that it's being used is photos and videos, mainly photos. But now that you can, um, they recently made it, so you can do videos as well. But why that's important is because Instagram was all just about making the images be the important thing and just having really small captions versus Facebook, of course, or Twitter, where um, it was more text. So, what? Yeah, now it. Now Facebook owns it. So this is just a picture I wanted to show you guys of, have you ever been on Instagram and you're scrolling through and you're on someone's like all the pictures and you accidentally double tap on one of the photos of like 42 weeks ago and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed right now. This person's going to know I was scrolling through their old photos. This is how you look. I know I felt like this before, maybe once or twice or maybe not. So I'm going to go with not, but that's just... um, something on a cloud. So next we're going to be talking about uh, the social media pitfalls and perks. And why I want to talk about this is because like Rick was saying earlier when he was talking about the theology of technology is that like you can use social media for bad or for good, of course, like any other technology, people are using it both ways. Um, But we want to, as believers, we want to be using it for the glory of God and not for the glory of ourselves. And so I wanted to go over some of the pitfalls to be aware of um, when you're on social media and also some of the perks. So we'll start out with the pitfalls. And the first one that I'm going to talk about is comparison and then compromising relationships and craving affirmation. There's obviously some more, but these are the main big three that I wanted to focus on today. So the first one is comparison. One, one thing to be aware of is when you're on social media, you can start comparing yourself to other people. I know an example of that would be there's someone I follow a, a lot of different people. One of them is, I don't know if you guys have this as well, but it's like these people who feel like you're constantly on vacation where they'll be posting all kinds of pictures of one week they're in Hawaii and then they're in Bora Bora and then they're in Paris. And you're like, how are you going to all these places? Do you even have a job? And then you start to think, how is my life not like that? Why do they get to travel everywhere? How do I get that job? And what do I have to do to be like them? And really, it's just not healthy. It makes you think of yourself of, 
less than and as if your life is really boring and theirs is really fun. But um, that's just most of the time we don't know the ins and outs of that. And um, maybe they're traveling for work. Maybe they don't even like it. We don't know. But it's, there's no use of comparing yourself to those people. The other one is the perfect mom. I don't know if any of you guys are moms, but there's a few, you know, I don't know if you have it, but they're moms and they have like three kids, but constantly they have their hair, their makeup done. They're always, their kids are always smiling, always happy. And it's just like, you're wondering how, how is this possible? She has three kids. How is she even keeping it together? Um, but the truth of the matter is, uh, she she doesn't have it all together. And you're only seeing, for both of those scenarios, you're only seeing the highlight reels of people's life. And you're not seeing the, the in-between moments. And then I was starting to think of, with my life, I looked on my Instagram and I'm like, oh, well, I can see how if someone went on mine, it would look like my life's just a bunch of highlights as well. When I know, for me, that's not the case. There's a lot of... Um, like life's just hard sometimes and it's not all rainbows and butterflies and it's not all vacations and perfect kids. There's screaming kids and there's, you're getting stuck in the airport for hours. It's just not all perfect. And so just, that's one thing to say, like, I know in this room we can talk about it and be like, yeah, we know that's not real life. But then when you're scrolling through and you're just mindlessly doing it, it slowly starts to creep in and you start to just Um, not be content with what the Lord has given you. And that's just not the design of how we should be using social media. But it's not just social media that has made comparison a problem. I know one story that was coming up when I was thinking about this was the story of um, in 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 8. And it was talking about Saul and David. And they had just got back from war. And women were coming into the streets to greet them. And they were singing songs about how Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. And in that story in 1 Samuel, you see Saul get really angry and really, really jealous of David. And he gets to the point where he wants to kill him because David has killed tens of thousands and he has only done a thousand. And so what's crazy about that to me is at first I was like, okay, that's ridiculous. Why would he get so upset? But the truth of the matter is, is I have a lot of contentment and joy in my life until I start comparing myself to other people. Once I start doing that, I start to think thousands is not as good as tens of thousands. And that's just, that's not how social media is supposed to be used, especially like It was like that back in the day. It was like that back in Bible times. It's still like that now. And so it's not like you have to cut social media out altogether and be like, oh, well, I can't go on there because I'm going to start comparing. That even happened way before social media existed with Saul and David. And so it's just finding that line of just being aware that when you are on social media, that can be happening and have a guard up against that. So another pitfall is compromising relationships. So sometimes when you're on social media, you can get really wrapped up in what you're doing. And sometimes it's good things. Sometimes you're sharing the gospel with someone online, but you're constantly down looking at your phone. And I know, I don't know if you guys have ever ever gone to dinner and seen this situation where it's a bunch of people just sitting at a table all on their phones. And I know when I'm sitting at dinner and I look around the restaurant and I see that and I'm like, wow, that's sad. Um, Good thing I'm not doing that. Good thing I'm looking around. But that's like, I started realizing that's not even true. Like there's times when I'm doing that too. And it's easy for me to look at other people and be like, oh, well, I, I don't do that. But actually I was in, um, last weekend I went to Fort Worth with my community group. We had like a community retreat and we, 
we went to a flower crown work- workshop and we were making flower crowns. And so we were taking all these pictures and just having fun together. And so afterwards we went to a hotel and we were um, staying there together as a group and we were waiting for the elevator and I pushed the button and then I get back on my phone and I'm just posting a picture on Instagram and I look back up and my entire community group, all, all seven of them were all looking down at their phones and we missed the elevator. The elevator came and went without us even noticing. And I, I look up and I realize, I said, you guys look around, we're all on our phones right now. And granted, we were all like, posting pictures because we were just really excited about what we did earlier. But still, after that moment, we decided, okay, the rest of the night, we're all putting our phones in the middle of the table and no one can touch their phones. We're all just focusing on each other. And so that was a reminder of, uh, this is something that I do as well and that it's really easy to just get wrapped up in what you're doing online. But to put that aside and not compromise those relationships with other people that are right in front of you that you can engage with um, over being on social media because there's still so much more value in face-to-face connection. And a third pitfall to talk about today is craving affirmation. And what I mean by that is when you're posting stuff online, a lot of times, uh, that's a way that pride and vanity and things like that can just spur up and, and get and manifest itself in different ways. And one way that that can happen is, the selfie phenomenon. I know that how many people here have ever posted a selfie before? It's a safe place. We can admit it. Okay. Okay. You know what? I, I'm going to do one right now. Thank you, Philip. I'm going to get, I'm going to get a selfie of all of us. Oh, I need the selfie stick. I should have brought one. Okay. Selfie. All right. I got that. Okay. Really though, selfies, sometimes they're okay, I guess. Not, I don't even know if that's okay. But the, the truth of the matter, <laughs> sorry if that was inappropriate, um, too late now. So I, I just took a selfie. It's fun to joke about, but in all reality, really like the selfies and everything just all, being all about yourself online, it's like you can start craving like how many likes you have on a picture or how many people are commenting and um, just being aware that it can really just breed like this this unhealthy thing of just getting affirmation from other people be- besides the Lord. And one stat I found online was that 17 million selfies are posted on social media each week. And to me, I was like, that's insane. Like imagine if 17 million people just simply posted a Bible verse instead of a selfie. Like what kind of impact would that have on our world? And instead of just a picture of themselves that really like, it's not glorifying the Lord in any way. Um, if you're just constantly like just being about yourself on social media. And when I was thinking that through, uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 came to mind that says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And the main thing I see in that is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So just like any technology, we need to remember that Everything we do should be for the glory of God. And so if we're constantly on social media just posting about ourselves, I don't see how that could be um, pointing towards Jesus instead of pointing towards ourselves. So that's just one thing to think of. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but craving affirmation from anyone besides the Lord is really just a sin, and it's something to be aware of when you are on social media to not let that creep into your life.
So instead of talking about all the negatives, I thought we should switch over to the positive, which is the perks, and talk about some of the great ways we can use social media for good and not for bad. And so when I was doing research, I went on Facebook and I wanted to see what Facebook was originally intended for and how they would claim um, Facebook is to be used. So it says Facebook's mission is to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. People use Facebook to stay connected with friends and family, to discover what's going on in the world, and to share and express what matters to them. So I highlighted here some of the words that were sticking out to me, like share and more open, stay connected, discover, and share. And they keep using the, this language of how we're supposed to share and be connected to one another. And when I was going through um, certain perks of social media, a lot of, a lot of the, the perks that I came up with all aligned with Facebook's mission statement, which shows that we can use Facebook the way it was intended, but use it in a good way and not a bad way. So some of the perks are communicating faster and further, connecting with friends and family, and contributing hope and truth online. And I'm just going to go into a few of those a little bit deeper and just explain what I mean by that. So the first one is communicating faster and further. With one click, we can really talk to people in all countries around the world, which is something we've never been able to do until within the past um, I would say a few decades, we weren't even able to do that as fast and as easy as we are today. It's really like having a mission trip in your pocket in the way that before you had to fly to other countries to go speak to people. And now we can go, there's people from all countries all over Facebook that we can go just take out our, take out our phone, go onto our Facebook app and just talk to people. And often I think about as the, if the disciples were here, like in this age, or if social media was back when the disciples were trying to tell people about Jesus, would the disciples be on social media? And it's hard to say, I mean, we don't know if they would or not, but from what, from the information that I've read about the disciples, they really, um, they were not afraid to go into areas where there were sinners or they weren't afraid to go into the darker areas. And so I don't, uh, my assumption is that they would go on social media and they would use it to um, spread the good news of Jesus through that medium as well. And one way that we do that here is the Watermark Facebook page and our other social media channels. But Philip and Rick actually manage those pages. And so they're posting videos a lot and different blogs and articles and just quotes that Todd says and just things that are really helpful um, to grow people, stir people's affection for the Lord. And how many of you are friends with the uh, Watermark Facebook page? So... I know like if you guys have been on there, you'll see like videos from sermons and stuff. And one thing that was really um, interesting to me is Facebook allows you to go onto the business page and they have a section called Facebook Insights where you can go on and see how many video views you're getting, like how many people are liking certain things, how many shares, how many um, people are in different countries around the world. And they give you all this information and all the data that you could ever want on this thing called Facebook Insights when you're when you're doing Facebook for a business. And so I went on the back end and I started trying to pull statistics and see really are we being effective with the way we're using Facebook at Watermark? And what, what does that even look like? Like how many people are actually seeing this stuff? And so this is just a concept of people are on Facebook all over the world and we can use the Watermark page to reach people all across the world. So I found out on the back end of the site that 
This month alone, we have reached 644,000 people in the USA and over 100,000 people in 43 different countries. And on the back end, it'll show you individual countries of each country and how many people have seen posts from the Watermark page. And it was from countries all over. I saw Pakistan, I saw Africa, I saw Europe, I saw, I mean, there's just all, all, all different places in Europe. Like, it was just crazy on all the different countries. And some of them had like 5,000 people or 1,000. Some only had 300, but it was 43 different countries of this just past month saw things that Watermark has posted. And so if you can imagine everything Watermark posts, it's all central centralized about Jesus. There's always some kind of message pointing people to Jesus and pointing people back to the cross and pointing people to the fact that we can be saved by grace through faith. And the concept of that, of it reaching that many people, it's like on a Sunday morning, the people who can fit in that sanctuary, it fits around I don't know, what, 3,000 people or so, 4,000 in the main sanctuary. And so just considering the numbers of how many people can be sitting there versus how many people can be seeing clips of that very sermon online being shared with people all over, all over the country, all over the world, and this is how many people we're reaching, it would be, it would be not, we would be not good stewards to not utilize the the Facebook pages and Instagram pages and Twitter pages. And it would just be, we would not be good stewards if we didn't utilize that. And so if you were to tell anyone hundreds of years ago that we were reaching this many people in one week, they would think you're making it up. They wouldn't believe you. They'd be like, there's no way you can do that. And what Philip touched on earlier, I just want to say again for this piece is like the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And as you can see, there are billions of people online, but most of them are just sharing things about themselves or parties they're at or just how much the world has to offer them and how you should make more money and do what feels good and not care about Jesus. But we can be the laborers. We can go on Facebook and we can tell people the truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth about what he did for us. And we can be the laborers on Facebook because the harvest is plentiful. Another perk that comes from being on social media is just the piece of simply connecting with friends and family. Going back to the Facebook mission statement, one piece of it said, people use Facebook to stay connected with friends and family, to discover what's going on in the world, and to share and express what matters to them. And so, I don't know, does anyone here have family or friends that live in other states than Texas? Okay, me too. I am from Florida, and so I have a lot of family members there and a lot of old friends, and I don't get to see them as much. And so Facebook is a way for me to connect with those friends and family that I don't get to connect with as much and have a window into their daily lives. This is just a picture of me and two of my sisters, and they're like my best friends in the world, and they both live in Florida. And for me, it's a way, like, I, I do still call them on the phone a lot. I probably talk to my one, my twin sisters on the left. I talk to her um, usually every single day. But it's still really great to be able to go on her Facebook page and see photos of things she's doing in the moment where I can't be with her all the time. I can't see everything she's doing. But I can connect with her on that level of um, seeing, like, whatever she's doing if she's just – 
if she's hanging out at home and she posts a picture of her just watching TV or sitting on the couch, I don't know. It's just nice to see like little things in her life that I'm missing out on when I'm in Texas and she's all the way in Florida. And so it's just really simple, but that's the way Facebook was um, designed is to be able to connect with those people in other places that really, that you care about a lot that you just can't see often. So the other perk is contributing hope and truth online. So the same way that I get a window into my sister's lives in Florida that I wouldn't be able to see without social media, that is the same way people can look into your life on social media and see things about you. And I mean, that can be weird in a way, like when I touched on earlier about Facebook creepers, they can go on your page and just look at different things that you're doing. But if you use it in a good way, it can be a really good thing to share what the Lord is doing in your life. And one thing, when I became a believer about almost four years ago now, I mean, I have a ton of friends on my Facebook that are not believers from my past life. It feels like a whole nother life that I lived, but I have a ton of friends that um, don't know the Lord and aren't interested. They're openly not interested. And about a year ago now, I posted a blog that was just sharing about my personal story and what the Lord has done in my life and how I came to know the Lord. And I really didn't think many people would read it or even um, even click on it at all. Like I didn't think it was going to happen. And I was just like, eh, maybe like five people or so will read it. And it turns out like I started getting all of these comments on this blog about um, asking me more questions about how my life has changed so drastically because they saw the Elena before Jesus and now they see the Elena today and they know like it's a radical change. And through that blog, I had people private messaging me and asking me like, hey, uh, what is that? What do you mean by that? Like, how did you just change so much in a, in a couple years? Like, how, how can I... Um, how can I know the Jesus that you know? And it was mind blowing to me on how one story got started all these conversations with some of the people I wasn't even that close with. Um, They were merely like acquaintances, but it just opened this door. It like opened the floodgates of people asking me questions about Jesus. And I'll never forget that because it's just, it just shows me that you don't think about the impact you can have when you're sharing something online of even one person reading it. Maybe they're not even gonna like it or comment on it. And so you're not gonna know that they even read it, but later they could come to you and say, hey, I saw what you posted the other day and it really touched me. It really gave me hope in this dark place. And maybe they'll use different words, but I know what I've seen is that people really need hope especially when you don't know Jesus. And whether that's, um, a lot of people spend a lot of time on social media. And if we can reach them there and we can't reach them in person, like let's reach them there. I love how Todd a lot of times will say, um, when he's talking about ministry, if people don't like the way he's doing something, he'll say, I like my way of, of doing it a lot better than your way of not doing it. And I love that because it's like, hey, maybe I don't have it all figured out on what I'm posting on social media. Maybe, um, Maybe I don't have the right words to say, or maybe it's subpar to what I would want it to be, but I like the way of trying at least better than the way of not trying at all. And so one verse uh, that this reminded me of is declaring his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Psalm 96, three. And 
I love that so much because it says among the nations and among all peoples. And so if we, we can't reach here in Dallas, Texas, we cannot reach all the nations and all peoples, but we can certainly use the platforms and the people in our circle. Um, we can share our story with them and we can reach those people. And so doing, our, doing the best we can with the resources that we've been given and being good stewards of what the Lord has given us. And so the big question that I see through this whole talk today is, should Christians be on social media? And the question is, is really a good question because there's really no black and white yes or no. It's always, it's always with the Lord. It's always a matter of the heart. And so where is your heart at? Like, are you using social media for the glory of the Lord? Are you using it for yourself? Are you trying to glorify yourself? And I know that um, we can be lights in a really dark place. And a lot of the times on social media, it is a really dark place. And people aren't really sharing a lot about Jesus. And so we can be those people. And really, what we need to do is just keep our eyes on the mission, keep our eyes on Jesus, and know that we can use social media as a mission field and not as a battlefield. And so I just wanted to take a couple minutes and just have you guys discuss these questions about what I talked about. And if you have any questions for me, I'd love to try to answer them. Um, but feel free to just go look over these and take a couple minutes, run to the bathroom, whatever you guys need to do. Raise your hand if you... Uh Check your social media before you brush your teeth. Be honest. I'm just asking. That's always interesting to see. Roll out of bed and you just do. First thing in the morning. So um, earlier we watched the video of um, how not to share your faith. And this is just a a video of uh, how you can share your faith. Awesome. Yeah, a little different. What y'all say is probably like some of the main things that you saw different in this video than the first video. When he was building relationship yeah. With these people and then yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I would say the same thing, definitely. And so what we saw was him making connections with people. And so um, sharing your faith online it is the same thing as when you share your faith in person. You need to just make a connection. Make a connection first. And then you can openly share. Um, The difference also, he got to see the guy say, hey, go ahead, and you have the parking spot. He got to see him uh, living out his faith. He got to see him being a good guy. And then just being able to talk to people and saying, hey, uh, what kind of coffee you like here? It's always about just trying to find an opening uh, and a conversation with someone and building a a connection and even a quick relationship. The the good thing about us for on social media is, a lot of those people you already have relationships with, and they know you in some kind of capacity. And so I know it's, it's, it's a, a little different for us on social media, so you already have kind of a leverage um, to connect with someone. And so we're going to talk about um, just seven practical steps of uh, how to share your faith online. Seven E's, alliteration. We always like to do alliteration or acronym here at Watermark. So it's a, seven E's because it's easier. Some of y'all got that. <laughs> and so the first E is earnestly pray. Earnestly pray. I mean, just think about how many times you post and how many times you actually pray about your posts. God, is this what you would have, what you would have me to post? Like, God, is this going to be edifying towards the body of Christ? And so um, God desires for all of us all to be saved, and, and so should we. 
So we should pray before we post um, so that someone with, who sees it might be blessed by it, you know. And our prayers are actually heard by God, and they have a bigger impact than we could even imagine. And I think we forget that sometimes, especially on social media. And so one of the verses that comes to mind is First uh, Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And the reason for that is that we, us who pray for them, may lead a peaceful and quiet, godly, and dignified life in every way. And also, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's just, that's excellent. We should be praying for everyone. Kings, Obama, everybody, our future next president, every one of your Facebook friends, you should just stop and pray for them. So a practical way you can do this, I would say, is to just post, um, hey, I'm going to be praying tonight. Is there anyone who would like me to pray for them? I've posted that several times, and you'll just be surprised, like how many people will comment, uh, how many people who may be afraid to comment will actually just send you a message or will text message you and say, hey, I'm going through this right now. Or also, if you see someone say, hey, I need prayer for this, stop and pray for them. Like, don't just be, I know I'm convicted of this. I I do this often. Like, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Never pray for them, you know. Actually take time out to pray for people, um, even if it's a quick prayer. And also, just like in in, in considering what we post, like a lot of my posts can be just flesh driven. And even if it's about God, it actually might be about me. And so just really asking God, like, who is this about? Is this about me or is this about others? And so after we pray, the next step is to evangelize. Evangelize after you pray. And so every Christian has been sent out by God on a mission to share the good news, to share the gospel. And social media gives us a a uniquely powerful tool and ability to share this uh, to a large number of people instantly who may not know Christ. And so we shouldn't just be a friend on Facebook. We should be a light. And a couple verses come to mind. Uh, Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's in Mark 16, 15. Also, Acts 1-8, what, uh, what we mentioned earlier. And then one of my favorite ones is just Isaiah and his response to the Lord. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. That's awesome. That should be our attitude on Facebook and in person, on social media and in person. Here I am. Send me. I'm willing to go. And so... What um what do you think are some of the things that prohibit us from saying, Hey, here I am, send me on social media? Fear. Fear. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I have down. <laughs> fear. Persecution, yeah. Fear. So fear can definitely be a determining factor of us ever sharing. Uh we just start questioning, like, what will they think about me? Um uh, will I lose my relationship and all these types of things. And so that fear can prevent us from evangelizing. And when I'm saying evangelizing, I'm not meaning like 
Every morning you wake up and you share a full systematic theology overview of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that. Uh, We can do simple things from posting a verse, uh, sharing something from a a popular blog that you've seen that just has touched you. Um, You can share... um, it's anything, videos, there's all types of ways that, that we can open up a conversation with, with others. And so this fear, it's just, it's, it's overwhelming. And I never want you to think, like, for me, um, I would say people have confirmed, like, hey, like, you, ha- you can evangelize. And that's something that I love to do because I came to know Christ later in my life. And so I know what it's like on the other side to live for 28 years in just complete disarray. And so... That's one of the things I love to share with others. And so don't ever think that people who are, have a, a better gift in evangelizing, like, hey, I'll just let them do it. No, get in there. Like, Jesus calls for all of us to be evangelists. Like, there's, there's not like, hey, he has the gift of evangelism, so I'll just stay over here. Like, we can all evangelize. And so really we have to ask ourselves, like, does the risk um, outweigh the reward? And I would say the reward is so much greater than us uh, feeling the fear that someone might think we're weird or think we're awkward because someone might actually come to know who Christ is through our conversation. And in our society, we have this instant gratification thing that, that, that looms over our heads. So we start thinking, like, if, if I share the gospel with this person and they don't trust in Christ right now, I failed. And that's just not true. Like, we never know how many people have come to know Christ because of our faithfulness. Uh, God works in crazy ways and, and details and intertwines uh, people's lives together. And so the next, uh, the next one is to engage. Number three, strike up a conversation. It's okay to go ahead and just stick your foot in, your foot in the muck of uh, hot topic issues like we talked about, p- politics, uh, all these types of things. It's okay. If people don't know our worldview, if people, if, if we don't speak up, we'll be silenced. We will be silenced. We need to speak up and have a biblical worldview of, of every, every type of, uh, of topic that's out. And so as believers, we have a duty not only to share the gospel and the good news and Christ, but also to reason with unbelievers. And so... When you think about sharing the gospel, when people respond to the gospel, they're going to respond in three different ways. You write this down. This is going to be true every, every single time. Some will mock you. Some will mock you. Some will hear you further. Some will hear you further. And some will believe. Some will believe. And our lives have just been transformed by God. Um, So we should desire to just share this with everyone, you know, whether it's a dead end or a new glorious beginning. And so a couple of verses that come to mind, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We all know this one. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And then what I just mentioned, that's actually biblical, and it's, it's proven to be true over and over again. This is referring to the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul went into the marketplace, and he was, just, he was just preaching the gospel, the resurrection of the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, 
But others said, we will hear you again about this. So some will hear you further. And then some, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Some will believe. It's one of the three options. They're going to mock you. They'll hear you more about it. And some will believe. And so Elena earlier talked about like what the, what the disciples have been on Facebook. I think absolutely, yes, definitely. And definitely the Apostle Paul would have been on Facebook. Um, in, the, in the previous class, I was just talking to one of the other residents, Derek, and, and he was like, hey, man, like y'all have such a cool class um, because I just know if Facebook was around, like the Apostle Paul would have been the first person on it sharing the word. Like he would have been in it. He would have been engaging. He would have been reasoning. And I was like, yes, yes, he would have. And that's just awesome. And so Facebook, social media in general can get pretty mucky. So what do you do when something like this pops up on your timeline? Mocking. Create entire universe out of nothing. Need Adam's rib to create one more thing. That's just an outright mock of God. There's something else. These are things that I see on my timeline. Christians do good things because it might get them to, into heaven. Atheists do good things because they're nice. Angry atheists. They're everywhere. Creationism. Billions of years plus natural selection. Impossible. Six days plus magic beard man. Yes. It's mocking you creationists out there. Or this one, morality. Guess which one the Bible's okay with. You have your African-American slaves on one side, a gay couple on the other side. Morality, guess which one the Bible's okay with. Are y'all ready to respond to that? Like, do you know how to respond to that? Because it can really make you say, wow, I don't... I don't have a I don't have a response for that. I, I, <laughs> yeah. It's like I don't have I don't I don't have a response to that. And somebody posts that and especially if they're your friend and you're engaging with them. Um and man, you could you could really damage uh damage uh the people's view of Christ if you're not ready to respond. And so one of the other things that, that is incorporated in that fear is just people just don't feel equipped, you know? We don't feel equipped. And so what I want you to know is like, hey, listen, time is on your side. You're on social media. You don't have to respond automatically. Take some time. Ask, some, ask another Christian. Do some research. Come back to it. Time is on your side. Um, one of the great things that I don't know if anybody knows about Greg Kolkel and the Colombo tactic, but if you don't, uh, there's three questions you can always ask uh, people, whether engaging online or in person. So the first question uh, to write down is this. Uh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Somebody post a picture like that. Hey, wh- like, what do you mean by that? And the second question you can ask is, um, how did you arrive at that conclusion? How did you arrive at that conclusion? And the third um, question or insert that you can say is, hey, um, have you ever considered, and then you insert your worldview, and you'll be surprised, like, how, man, this is so fruitful when you when you interact with people, because you're you're giving them, them the opportunity to express themselves and their beliefs, and you're finding out more information about what they actually, actually believe, so that you can have a proper response 
uh, to them. So it's, this is all like apologetics type stuff. And then one thing I want to just warn you about is just rabbit trails. Like people will, people will start off here and they'll take you through a million different questions. And I would just say just always, always bring it back to the cross. Make people wrestle with the cross. That's the one thing they need to wrestle with. And so you can just uh, write these two verses down. Uh, Proverbs 26, uh, 4 through 5. And those say, uh, this is something that I had to learn fast. Um, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So that's just saying, hey, don't, don't answer a fool or you'll become a fool. And then the, the fifth verse, uh, which is behind it, says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So it's just kind of like a, a flip there. Like, yeah, answer a fool. And then or the other one saying, don't answer a fool. And then one saying, answer a fool. And you just have to be wise and discerning on when that's appropriate. And sometimes sometimes you can answer answer a fool because you you don't want him to go around and think that he's right on this. Like, hey. Let me let me instruct you and tell you what's what what's, what are the fallacies in this, and then sometimes you can just say when you're in a conversation like if I answer this person I'm going to become like this person, and so let me let me back out and uh, bring it back to the cross. And so the fourth e is battery dead. Can you hit me on the next slide? Equip. So the fourth e is equip. We're called to always be ready for a defense, always be ready to have um, our argument ready. Um, our, our residency teacher, he always says, always be ready to preach, pray, or die. Always be ready to preach, pray, or die. And we should always try to point people to Christ. That's our primary mission when engaging and equipping online. Always point people to Christ. It's not, you're not trying to win an argument. If we, don't, if we don't do this with love, like we failed. We've definitely failed. And so... Next slide says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always remember the second part. Do it with gentleness and respect. And then 2 Timothy, it's a lot to read, but just always be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. That's all the time. Because people are, are going to wander into myths. There's all kind of false narratives out there. And just do the work of evangelists. It's simple. And so, always be ready to do the work of evangelists. And so, when we talk about equipping people, engaging people, I, there, I, know, I realize that there might be two opposite ends of the spectrum in this room. There may be some who are just completely scared, and this is the first time you've ever heard, like, hey, maybe I, I need to share my faith online. And there are some of you who probably share your faith on, online, online a lot, and you engage with people a lot, and sometimes you can just turn into a Bible ninja, and you can just start slicing and dicing and throwing swords and, and throwing shooting stars at people, and you're just always ready to, like, come on. Oh, you want to you wanna come on? And that could be me a lot of times, you know? <laughs> because I, I just, I hate, I hate hearing, you know, just false narratives and you just want to say, Hey, like you're wrong, bro. And so, uh, the goal, like, especially, especially listen to me on this one. If you're a believer and you're engaging with another believer online, 
just just back, back out. Like people are watching and, and people are judging. And when they see two Christians going head to head over like theological issues, it's just so damaging to Christ. And so if that's you, just repent. <laughs> just repent and just say like, hey, man, I've done that because I know I have. And so the goal isn't to win an argument. It's always to win souls to Christ. The goal isn't to win an argument. It's, it's always to win souls to Christ, always. And so part of winning souls to Christ is just being available and able to rec- be able to recognize like, hey, this is a skeptic. And what we've talked about today on, this, on, on, on our timeline has gotten to a point where either we've reached a communication ditch and they're not understanding what I'm saying, or, hey, I think this person, if I, if I sat in front of them and shared the gospel with them in person, um, they might come to know Christ. And so the fifth E is to extend an invite. Extend an invite. And so God calls us to be an attractive testimony to non-Christians. We're always looking for those who are looking for us, always. And social media can just be just such a powerful tool to exercise this. And so Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious. Season with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's just a great example. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And then 2 Timothy is just warning us to not get into foolish and ignorant controversies and quarrels. Um, we might, we shouldn't be quarrelsome, but we should be able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting opponents, but with gentleness. And the reason for this is the second is this last part. God may perhaps grant them a repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. That's awesome. So the way we share, the way we engage, the way we extend our invite is an awesome testimony to an unbeliever. Like, think of, I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but it's something that we uh, try to practice all the time here at Watermark on our pages. If, if somebody posts a negative comment, we, we like to engage with them a little bit, and then we just like to say, hey, we would love to grab a coffee with you on us. Come up here anytime. Let us know if we can set up a time to meet, to talk about it, get to know your story a little bit. And that could just be an awesome way to, that you can build a new friendship. And for people to just say, hey, this Christian is not afraid of my arguments. Like, they're not afraid of me. And so th- them coming to me and saying, hey, I want to get to know you, that can be powerful. Like, people can be like, wow, I've never experienced a Christian like this because the vast majority of times they haven't like they either see Christians as people who are just stupid and foolish. Like y'all are foolish. I don't, but But when they see someone who's like equipped can stand their ground, but is still loving. Wow. That's powerful right there. That's the apostle Paul. And so, um, I just want to throw in a disclaimer with this. Don't ever do that alone. Always bring someone with you. And I would even say males, uh, don't meet up with a female. Uh, females don't meet up with a male. Direct them towards one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, and that way uh, discipleship can happen. We do that so we remain safe and also to just be above reproach. And it's an awesome way for discipleship to start. And so um, a huge part of of this is also uh, just examining, examine your conversations. 
Social media, we can, we're allowed to go back and look at the way we've uh, interacted with people, talked with people. And sometimes, like, our zeal for Christ and our zeal for our beliefs and witness, whew, it can get you in trouble. You can say some stuff that, in the heat of the moment, when you engage, you're like, wow. You look back and you're like, wow, that was not like Christ at all. And one of the best things you could ever do is look back at your, at your, at your thread and just say, I was wrong there, and ask an unbeliever for forgiveness. That's a powerful uh, testimony of Christ. And so we should just be open for others to speak into our lives, too, as well. Um, my girlfriend's in here, right here on the front row, Reagan. Raise your hand. <laughs> and she is she is excellent about telling me, hey, like, when you posted that, I posted something a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, hey, you posted that. I don't think that was very loving. So I had to go back and delete it, you know? Always be ready to get rebuked. This oil on your head, you know? And so... Two verses come to mind. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And then just the fruit of the Spirit. Always check and see if you're exhibiting love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Always make sure that you're exhibiting those things. And so I have a friend, um, great guy, He's an agnostic, which just means he simply just doesn't really know. Like, he won't say there is a God. He won't say there isn't a God. He, he won't subscribe to any religion, but he won't say, hey, I'm an atheist. And so this is one of the sharpest guys I know, super smart. Uh, he's uh, a religious studies major. He's a journalist. And we would, you know, kind of just exchange back and forth online. Like, if he would post something and tag me in it because he wants to, you know, see what I think about it from a Christian worldview. And so I thought it would be a cool idea to just kind of get a, a gauge on uh, how our talks have went. And this is something I've never checked before. So I just sent him a Facebook, uh, Facebook message and said, hey, what's up, bro? I'm teaching a class next Saturday. Um, since I know you and I used to engage frequently, how would you say our interactions have been? Do you feel like I hold fast to my beliefs and have reasonable evidence to support them? Do you feel comfortable in our combos? Do you feel like I approach you out of love and not harshness? Are you ever challenged to reassess what you thought was true when I present my beliefs to you? And have you seen radical life transformation from when you knew me before Christ? So this guy knew me in my crazy days. And so I said, I appreciate feedback. Grace to you. And this was his response. I had to blur him out. I told him I was going to blur him out. He said, dope. I've loved my interactions with you, and even with Todd on Twitter. This guy gets into it with Todd on Twitter, so you might end up figuring out who it is at some point. And Todd is an active social media guy. If you don't follow Todd on, on Twitter or Facebook, treat yourself. Go do that. And so uh, he says, we disagree on just about everything related to religion, but you're always honest and fair with me. You definitely stick to your beliefs and provide your, res uh, your sources. I think you're sincere, but I find basically anything condemning uh, the gay community is harsh and often unnecessary, but obviously we just disagree there. So that's, that's great that he could just say, hey, like, those are your beliefs, these are my beliefs, we disagree there. He says, I feel comfortable, but I'm a religious studies major, so debating religion is what I'm passionate about. I could see how it could be a little in your face and uncomfortable for people who aren't used to discussing and debating religion. And yes to your last question, 
I don't think I've ever seen someone change so radically and become so devoted to Christ. That's the most impressive part is how your life clearly does reflect your beliefs. And so after all our conversations online, after all our engagements online, after me providing all my sources, me being able to have a defense for my faith, the most impressive part is him seeing my life change and that reflecting my beliefs. That's awesome, you know? That's, that's just awesome. Like, if, if every unbeliever could say that about us, that's awesome. You can't deny that, you know? And so the seventh E is earnestly pray again. Earnestly pray again. Pray for, I pray for my friend, you know? You pray for the people that you've engaged with. You pray that God will open their eyes, um, that something that you said in, in the conversation would take hold of their heart and that they would be changed. You just pray and ask God for that. Pray, pray for them with a sincere heart because, hey, listen, you seriously might be the only person who is praying for that person. You really might be the only person praying for them. And so two verses come to mind. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. That's us. But only God who gives the growth. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 7. And then this is probably one of my all-time just favorite verses. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'm so glad that the Lord was patient with me. I am. And we should be patient with unbelievers, our, our people who are Facebook, social media friends. We should be patient with them because God is. And we should pray for them to come to know the love of Christ. And so, got a couple discussion questions. Um, we can just answer this here. If you need to get up, you can. Um, so, do you think there's a sense of urgency in you to share Christ? Why or why not? Anybody? Yes, because he's coming. It looks like he's coming. He may come soon. He may come soon. Yeah. That's awesome. So we should make uh, the most of each moment that we have. Yeah. So do you think social media is an appropriate place to talk about religion? Faith, politics, or hot topic issues, why or why not? It's a tricky one. You may have thought one thing before you came in here.
That's exactly. Go down in prayer for a couple of hours. <laughs> so I'm going to bring up uh, my buddy Rick. He's going to talk about um, how to shepherd your kids online. Thank you, buddy. Um, hey, listen, we could talk about this stuff all day. It's crazy. I was looking at the clock. We have like 10 minutes, 20, 15 minutes together left. And um, we good? And um, so we could talk about this stuff all day. I feel like there, it's just so meaty, so weighty. And once you start talking about um, some of these topics, it, they just like kind of rabbit trail um, to other ones. And so um, I'm going to talk about you know, shepherding your kids. And here's the awesome thing is even if you don't have kids, some of the things that we're going to talk about, um, I think you're going to get some, some, I think you're going to get something out of this, even if you don't have kids. Who has kids in here? Okay. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Um, Philip showed you some memes. I wanted to show you one of, one of my favorites just because it doesn't have anything to do with my talk, but I like it. Uh, so I was like, I'm the son of God. And they were like, no way. And I was like, Yahweh. So <laughs> feel free to take that one if you want. Um, there you go. But um, shepherding your kids online, that's what, this is going to be the last little piece. Um, and, you know, thinking about this, I have a five-year-old and a, and a two-year-old. And, you know, my kids were basically born with an iPad, you know, in their hands. And, and so you, you, you think about what we said in the beginning is that people don't think something is technology if it was created uh, before they were born. And so, like, to my kids, you know, probably your kids, they, they, they don't ever know of a time where it wasn't possible to pull your phone out, hit a button, and then look at grandma on the other side via FaceTime. That, that's normal to them. That, they don't view that as, t- that's like a refrigerator to them. It, that's not technology to them. They, they know of no other life than a life where you just get on the internet, hit Google, and then look at, they, uh, they don't know about a card catalog, okay? They don't know about the Dewey Decimal System, Okay? <laughs> It's normal. It's just as normal as a stove, an oven, a microwave, the internet. Like it's just that's just what it is. And so, um, the very first thing that I, that I put down when I'm thinking about shepherding kids is that we pray. Right? I mean, you just pray. The Bible says that if you, any of you lack wisdom, you pray to the Lord. And so I think we just pray and say, Lord, can you help us um, have wisdom? Help us have wisdom in in the way that we um, build into our children. And, and the way that we help our children uh, inform their use of technology from God's Word. And so, you know, the question comes up, um, you know, should my kids use social media? Should, should I let my kids have an iPhone? Should I let my kids have a Snapchat account? To which my answer always is, man, I'm not sure. I don't know your kid. I don't know your kid. There's some 25-year-olds that shouldn't have access to the Internet. Um, and there's 15-year-olds that are a lot more mature than some 25-year-olds. So I just don't know. I'm 37. When I was a teenager, my parents, thank the Lord that we didn't have the Internet back then because, uh, or, or camera phones because I would never be able to get a job anywhere if that would have been the case, if someone would have been able to have a phone out at any second and I would have been able to share uh, whatever I thought I wanted to share without, you know, that would have been bad news. And so I'm thankful uh, that when I was a teenager, there was no social media. Um, and so that's just God's grace in my life. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Every kid is different, right? And, and you know your kids uh, better than I know your kids. And so, you know, there's some kids you wouldn't let go next door to the neighbor's house. And there's some kids that you would trust riding their bicycle across town. Every kid, every maturity level 
is different. I know Proverbs 22.6 says that we're to train a child up in the way they should go, and when they're older, they, they will not depart from it. So what I do know is that as parents, um, we have an obligation to train our kids up. You know, we have an obligation to uh, talk to our kids about everything, right? Uh, you would talk to your kids about sex. You would talk to your kids uh, about bullying, and you would definitely talk to your kids about social media. Here's another thing that I know just to begin the conversation is that, um, you know, you can tell a kid no, right? You can say no, uh, but a kid's going to do what a kid. We're all going to do what we want to do. It's even kind of like accountability groups, right? You can get together. Hey, did you sin this week? No. Did you sin this week? Yes. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, don't do that tomorrow, bro. And then you get together with them. And, hey, did you sin this week? Yes. Hey, don't do that, bro. That's not good. And eventually you go, hey, I can set up rules and I can set up accountabilities, but um, a transformed heart is always going to be more effective than any kind of parental control. A transformed heart is, is um, always more powerful than any kind of accountability we can set up. And so the goal as a parent is for us to help our kids partnering. I, I say partnering with the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't need us to partner. But what I mean is we want to we have our part as parents, but really ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that transforms hearts. And so we want, we want transformed hearts, uh, not just kids that know how to go out and buy a $5 phone that you don't know about so they can sneak behind your back and use their phone, right? We want transformed hearts. And so that's always, uh, that's always the goal, is we want our kids to have transformed hearts. So I'm going to kind of run through some things really quick that I think are topics for conversation. We don't have time to go into all of them now. But um, these are things that you want to think about, especially if you have children. And if you have young children, as our kids get older, these are things you want to think about. Again, none of these are Bible verses. This is all um, just us talking as friends. So feel free to dismiss any of these, uh, have better ideas or whatnot. But, but the first thing that you always got to think about is personal information. I think we have to teach kids to be very careful of the information they share, their name, their you know, addresses. Kids are sharing those things, phone numbers, school names, where they're going on vacation. Um, you know, maybe even tell your kids, hey, you don't, get out, don't give out any information until you double-check with me. Don't put any information. I was reading some statistics before I came. You never know where statistics, statistics come from. But they were even just talking about the number of kids that have shared personal information with someone that they don't even know, right? And even more than one is scary. And so kids are sharing things. So I think personal information is something you always want to talk with to, to, to kids and even to yourself, what you're sharing. And what's crazy is when you think about stories of just like, you know, um, taking a picture of your kid's school. I mean, a, a predator knows that school lasts from eight to three you post a picture in front of your kid's school, you got your kid's name, what he looks like. I mean, you just have to even really think crazy carefully about um, all those things in this day and age. Uh, a permanent footprint. I think that's the other thing. That what's posted on the internet can never really be deleted. And I think, man, a lot of kids miss that. They, they don't think that what I do today is somehow connected to, to tomorrow. Uh, but the things that, you know, it's like Facebook and Twitter um, Instagram, Snapchat, those are um, very large corporations. You know, I think people, we think, oh, well, they're free. It, those companies don't have your best interest in mind. You know, like they, they make money off of you. They want you to share content. And so they, they own that content. When you share things, that, that's their content. You know, you're giving it to them. And so we just want to be really careful and tell our kids, hey, if you, if what you're posting, if you wouldn't feel comfortable with that being on a billboard right here on 635, then you probably don't want to post that. 
I mean, you, don't, you never know. And once you post something, people can screenshot it. They can take it. Even if you delete it, it, it's out there. I mean, you can look at politicians, lots of people that share things. They delete it. It's there. And so you just always want to say, hey, do you know that what you're sharing is, is permanent? It's permanent. Um, you know, re- responsible friending. Um, you know, I think you always want to talk to people about, hey, how do we, who do we choose? You want to ask your kids, hey, how do we choose? What's our filter of who we allow to be our friend? You know, do we just let people that, you know, they're, they're looking through Facebook or whatever, and they look for really good-looking profile pictures. You happen to be good-looking, so a lot of strangers add you. Is that a, is that a good and wise way uh, to add people? You know, so you want to, and, and you got to remember, some of us as adults, we're like, oh, that's just all common sense. Imagine yourself being a 13-year-old or a 16-year-old and some creeper out there that, that has a, some fake picture that, that is an Abercrombie model that's fake, Adds, just starts adding you. You feel good. Oh, wow, that guy wants to be my friend. Wow, that's awesome. This guy's. Ch- I mean, you watch that show Catfish, you know, on MTV. Like it, this, this. There's there. There are some really dangerous people out there, and so you want to just tell your kids, hey, look, I think a good rule of thumb that's down here is if you if you've never had a conversation with this person in real life, you, you don't need to be communicating with them online. You know, this isn't. You don't want to just go meet strangers on the internet at 13 years old, at 16 years old. That's not. That's not what wisdom would have you do. Um, cyberbullying. I think, man, we live in a day and age where that's just the deal. And you might go, well, man, my kids don't do that. My kids are church kids. You know what? You still need to check with them. You need to talk with them. Hey, are the things that you're posting, are those helpful or, or, are, those, um, or are those hurtful? You know? um, and then you know, privacy guidelines. I think um, you know, being able to review the settings for all your platforms. Um, you, know, you can go into Facebook, all these different ones. And you just want to make sure that stuff... It is, you know, I, I even set mine as an adult pretty tight. You know, I don't want just strangers out there having access to my family and what my kids are doing and, and you know, where I work, all those things. And so you want to sit down. If you have kids, you want to sit down with them and you want to look through their security settings. You want to go, hey, let me just check. And they might go, hey, mom, dad, I've got this figured out. Or maybe even your own security settings. And no, hey, even like your birthday. You know, you think about we all like Facebook friends giving us a shout out on our birthday. That makes us feel good. But people have access to your date of birth when you do that. I mean, maybe you, maybe that's okay for you. Maybe but some people aren't comfortable with that. That some stranger out there could get your date of birth, have that. They know your name. They know your date of birth. People can put that information together. And so you just go, "Am I okay with that, or am I not?" I don't think there's a right or wrong. It's personal comfortableness. Um, there's a resource if you Google the New York City Student Social Media Guide. The New York City, they have put together a really awesome resource for kids under 13 and kids over 13 and also their parents. The New York City Social Media Guide. And so you can, go, you can grab that online um, and, and just kind of um, look, look through some of those guidelines. And I just want to give you a couple things here um, to think about as we, as we wrap up is this. Is that you wanna, when it comes to technology, you want to start small, I think, with your kids and work up. You know, you want to start small. Um, and work up. It's like driving a car, right? You don't just give them the keys to the car and tell them to jump on 635. Um, y- you work up. You know, you, they, earn their, they earn your trust. And the reward for faithfulness is more opportunities to be faithful. And so I think before you just give them an iPhone, tell them to go into their bedroom and have, you know, take their phone in there and just trust them, you want to make sure that, that they can handle all that responsibility. You know, I think um, Spider-Man, one of, one of the, somebody said, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, but you need, to, you need to think about that. Uh, you're their parents. That's a big one. You aren't their friend. Uh, you aren't their principal. You're their parents. Um, 
And so it's your job to parent, your job to shepherd um, shepherd them. I mean, Todd, Todd always says that parenting, you know, you have an 18-year discipleship project. And so some of that is joyful and some of it's not so much. You know, but our job with our kids is to not be their best friend. They have their own best friends. You know, we're to shepherd them. And you want to let them know, you want, when you say no, uh, when it comes to technology, or really anything, you want to explain your no. I think that's important. We miss that sometimes as parents. You know, we want to explain our no. I'm not saying no because I want to be a killjoy, you know, or trying to rip you off. I'm saying no because I want to protect you from something that you don't see the harm in right now. I want to protect you. Um, and, you know, you want to teach your kids to trust your leadership. You know, I want my kids to trust my yes, and I also want them to trust my no. And so we all need to have that is, is you know. Um, and then I have, just kind of wrote down here, let grace abound. You know, let grace abound. You know, what do you do when you catch a 13-year-old looking at pornography on a computer? What do you do? The same thing that you do when you catch a 35-year-old looking at pornography on a computer. You set limits for them. You make it a teachable moment. Um, you, you put accountability into place. You don't respond in anger. You know, I, I mean, I can imagine um, a parent catching their teenager looking at pornography and they scream at them and yell at them. You pretty much have set yourself up for your kids not to tell you anything else moving forward. You make it a teachable moment. You love them. You show them grace, but you also give them accountability. You don't throw wisdom out the door. But, but you, you don't want to discipline. I don't think you want to scream at your kids when they share something with you, you know, or, or even get caught. I don't, think, I don't think that's the loving way. And so um, and here's, here's the last couple. Lead by example. Lead by example. You know, this is a tough one for, for me. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about people having their phones out at dinner. I mean, how many of you honestly have your phones out at dinner sometime as, as parents, right? I mean, you have your phone out, and, um, and then my kids want to watch the phone at dinner. And as a parent, right, it's really easy for me to give my kids a phone at dinner because they'll watch a, a movie on there, and they'll kind of stay to themselves. And then my wife and I can enjoy dinner without having to just constantly help them. And so there's a little bit of selfish motive behind that, but they also see me. So if I have my phone out and I'm saying no, you know, my kids are confused. That's confusing for them. Um, and I think the other thing is passwords. Also, if you're married, I think this also applies. You know, I just wrote down, you know, passwords are, are to protect your personal information, not hide your secret lifestyle. You know, I mean, my wife, she knows all my passwords. I mean, my phone's always on the cabinet. My computer's right there. Um, could she go and look at anything on there anytime she wanted? She could. Does she do it? No. We built trust up over the years. I mean, she, she could. And so I think with your kids, you should know every password um, all their personal information, and, and they build trust for that. Um, they build trust in that. Um, and you let your kids know, hey, at any time, I can look through your phone. At any time, that, I pay the bill. That phone's mine, and I can look through it. Now, you may not always go look through it, but you, you reserve to, the right to do that. And, um, and I think you also ought to be connected on any network that your kids are connected with. You should be on there. So if your kids are on Facebook, if your kids are on Snapchat, you should be on Snapchat. Some of you are like, what is that? You should be on everything that your kids are on, and you should know. And it should be, um, it should be um, nightly conversation. You know, I think you want, hey, let's talk about social media. What did you see on there today? What did you learn? How would you encourage somebody? I think just like anything, it's just constant conversation. Um, and you want to do it often, constant conversation. Um, See if I have anything. We'll put these notes online. We'll put these PowerPoints online, so don't feel like you've got to read every, uh, write everything down. Um, I just wrote down here, man, you don't want to be the parent police. I think that's the other thing. I mean, your job's not to be the parent police. Your job is to be a parent. But 
just like anything else, you want your parents to, tr- you want your kids to trust you. You want them, you want to have a relationship with them to where you have ongoing conversation. And they're not afraid to tell you things they saw. I mean, but, but it's your re- approach, right? If you're screaming and yelling and throwing things, you know, at them every time they get, do something wrong, man, it's going to be really hard to have ongoing conversations. But if it's an open dialogue, um, it's going to be a lot better. Um, yeah, so that's, that's really what I got on, on this. Um, again, I think every kid is different. Every heart is different. It's an ongoing conversation. And, you know, we had set up for Philip and Elena to share their testimony, but, man, it's, it's 3.30 already. But I just want to tell you this in the last two minutes that we had together. What's really cool, I wish you would have had time to hear their stories. So, so Elena is from, lived in Florida and heard the Porch Sermons, which is our young, ministry to young adults, heard uh, sermons, got, uh, came to one of the porches at one point. So imagine being in Florida, you're listening to these messages, and got to, to Dallas, went to the porch. Someone at the porch told her about the residency program, and then while she was in town, right, you had an interview while you were in town. Um, so just crazy. So from Florida to Dallas, technology, the porch messages is kind of a bridge. Philip, you know, we were friends on Twitter before we were friends in real life. We do a podcast called Real Truth Real Quick. He was watching some of those, and God used some of those to kind of spur his life also. And so really, technology does some really cool things, even with folks in this room. And so I always just say this, you know, what's your biggest ministry platform? If I were to ask you, hey, what is your, you know, what's your biggest ministry platform? You know, I say I always say this. I don't always say this, uh, but your biggest ministry platform is in your pocket. It's on your computer. I mean, you have, I think Elena said, you know, we could fit 3,700 people, 3,900 people in here on a Sunday, but you have the ability to reach millions of people really in your pocket. And so, you know, different times in history, here's what I think, and, and, and we'll end. Different times in history, I think God has given us tools at certain points that have been turning points for the gospel. I mean, you know, you had, you had scrolls, you know, and that, I mean, we had tablets, you know, you see, the, you see the Ten Commandments being written on tablets, so they could take the tablets, share them, and go, wow, this is amazing. Then later on, you had papyri and scrolls, and people could then could write things down, write them in a scroll, and then pass them along. So, so then even more people could hear the gospel. And then you had the printing press. And imagine being born when the printing press was around. And now you could have your own copy of the Bible. Now you could not just have to go to a temple and hear someone talk about it. You could actually go to, the, go to the, somewhere and buy a copy of the Bible for your own. I mean, think about if you were born... If you were living in the time that the printing press came out, that would have been amazing. You went from not having a copy of the Bible to now people printed resources and you could own them. I think that we're really living in the next printing press. I think social media is our printing press. And we live in a time that some 50 years in a row, people are going to go, that was, this was a turning point. And so that's why I'm passionate about this is because we live, this is our new printing press. And we have the ability to reach more people than we could ever imagine and, and it's, it's like what Philip said. It's not going to be going out and, and writing systematic theology every day on your Facebook page. Being able to encourage, being able to, you know, not even posting. You know, think about this. And this is kind of an application piece. But as you get on your Facebook page today, maybe you just scroll through and you find someone that had posted something and you could respond in an encouraging way. Maybe you could invite that person for coffee. We always try to get people offline or on, online, offline. That's kind of our motto. So if someone's sharing something, I had, had a bad day or this, that, maybe you go, hey, would you, would you like to grab a cup of coffee instead of just putting Romans 8.28 on there? You know, maybe you go, hey, can we get a cup of coffee this week? I, I love, I mean, but listen, we're selfish people. I am. And it takes time out of my day. 
It's a lot easier to hit, hey man, Romans 8.28, bro, gotcha. Then to go, hey, can, I get, can, we get bre- can we get breakfast next week? Can, can I get an hour? Can, can I come by your house and bring you a Starbucks? And then share with them and pray with them? That's a different deal. But that's my challenge to you. Maybe just this next coming week, you can find one person um, that you could use social media and take them from online to offline. My email address is rsmith at watermark.org rsmith at watermark.org. And man, if I can be a resource for you or I can help you or connect or, you know, just, just talk with you or grab a coffee with you sometime, I'd love to do that. Philip and Elena would love to do that. So emails, again, you know, it's already past 3.30, so we're out of time. But this is something that we love to talk about, think about, pray about, all those things. And so email us, email me. I can connect you with my friends here. Or afterwards, we'll be down here. If you want to talk to us, we'd love to do that. And, um, Man, it's been cool hanging out with you guys. I hope it's useful. It's, there's so much information in these talks that it's almost like a fire hydrant, and you just go, man, let me just walk away with a piece. And so if you walk out these doors thinking one thing differently than you thought before you came in, this was really a win for us. And uh, for real, we'd love to connect with you guys outside of this. I'm going to pray for us, and then you guys will be done. Lord, thank you for my friends that came in here today, and I... Thank you for the tools that you've given us. We really do want to just acknowledge and thank you for the tools that you've given us. And we pray that you would give us creative ways to use these tools uh, to do creative things with them for your namesake. And so we don't know what, I don't even know what that could be like. There's people in this room that might want to go start a blog today. They might want to go home and do something crazy with Facebook tonight and love on some friends. I don't even know what it's going to look like, but I pray you'd give us wisdom and even those of us who have children, I pray for those kids. And even the kids that are growing up right now, we don't even know what the future is going to be like for them. And so we just pray that you would continue to give them wisdom, that you'd protect us, you'd protect our children, protect this future generation. And we pray you'd help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.